welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hello, friend. I was just sitting in my living room having lunch, which might not sound like a revolutionary thing for you, and if it doesn't, I am very proud of and happy for you, but if you, like me, have had seasons or maybe it's just kind of been your whole lifestyle, where you worked through lunch and you didn't take a lunch break because you were trying to get more accomplished, you felt like you didn't have time, I would just like to say that this is a sign of my healing burnout and a sign of my incrementally improving my work-life balance, and that is kind of the story of everything. It is small, little things that it hits you, you know? I am now in a rhythm where it is not rare that I actually pause and take a break for lunch. And it's twofold. Number one, I realized when I don't take a break for lunch, I don't eat. I don't eat enough food because I'm so focused on what I'm doing and because my work, I am either speaking or typing. Those are the only two things that I do. I don't really like sit on meetings where I'm off camera and I'm not involved. I don't really read and listen to things. Like I am... I I can't be using a fork or chewing and doing my work. So I wouldn't end up eating. And I just realized this is not good self-care. And I also got to really appreciate the break in the middle of the day. And it's like once I gave myself this thing that felt good, I realized this feels good. This helps me avoid burnout. This is a wise and healthy thing. This is why normal people take lunch breaks. And it was also inspired because it was so cold this winter. And my kitten, Mr. Freddy Cappuccino, started lying on this patch of the carpet, the the rug in our living room where the light comes through first in the day. And it's like it brought my attention to the fact that while the couch is not yet in sun, the floor in front of the couch is in sun. And because he would lay there and I would be so cold and I'd be like, oh, it would feel so good to just get some vitamin D on my skin through these big windows. And so I just started sitting in front of the television on the floor to feel like, oh, now there's another reason. It's not just that I'm eating, It's not, and, and that's good for my body and brain. It's not just that I'm taking a break, but it also makes me feel like I'm getting some vitamin D. And I think, again, that's part of our process to healing is little tiny shifts and layers and elements that help us do things a little bit better, a little bit kinder to ourselves, and then noticing over time when it feels good, you want to keep doing it. And so my routine is, um, you know, I'm really into home design shows, as we are aware, and uh, Love It or List It is my nighttime therapy basically right now because in, you know, 45 minutes, um, people have a problem. It's important to them, but it's not that stressful because you know it's going to work out in the end. And uh, by the end, everyone is happy. There's really not a winner or a loser. Uh, things were pretty. It was interesting. It's just like great for my nervous system. Nothing much problematic happens. And then in the end, there is like a little bow on it and I can go to bed. But because I like want to get to the end of it, I know that I could easily sit there and watch more TV than I would like to watch. So my lunch show is Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanna Gaines uh, because I don't really need to get to the ending. I can watch like 20 minutes and then walk away. So I go to put this on and the next one that just happens to be up in my queue 
is this episode with Tim Tebow, who is helping them redo a house for a boy with two wheelchairs. Two boys, sorry. Two boys who are in wheelchairs. Young boys, like maybe six and eight. And when I realize this is what the episode is about, I just get this wave of emotion and I think, this is empathy versus sympathy. I am experiencing acutely in these last three weeks, if you missed my sharing, I will uh, put some links in the description, but three weeks ago, when you're hearing this, three and a half weeks ago, uh, my brother-in-law, who is 26, was in a mountain biking accident and fractured his C5 vertebrae and was instantly paralyzed from the neck down and is presently quadri- quadriplegic. Um and in intensive, uh, out of the ICU and in intensive therapy. And um, it's, it's just, it's just our story now. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, like I was thinking on Easter this week, it was Easter Sunday. And I thought three weeks ago today, everything was normal. I, I'm pretty sure three weeks ago today, Jeremy and I were getting on a plane, flying back from Florida. And yeah, we had a travel day. We came home. We were happy to see Freddie. And then that night, I we went down to the gym and I got out of the shower. And Jeremy was like, my mom called. Aaron was in an accident. But we didn't really know. I think I think I said this last week. I think we were just kind of in shock. So Monday, Tuesday, you we were just kind of trying to process. And then Tuesday night is when we got this news that he had a 1% to 2% chance of ever getting out of a wheelchair. And I, just that is when everything got real. So it's been three weeks where you're just like, we know this whole new story. And I'll put the brief video that I shared below and his um, GoFundMe where you can read more of the story and hear updates and um, uh, read what the updates are. But I just think all of a sudden, like if I, I, because it's so new and because it's so big, right, there's not many times in life that I can think of. It's like, I would imagine if you are going through a divorce, you have probably been struggling in your relationship and you maybe didn't see it coming, but you, but it had like crossed your mind before maybe. Or, or maybe if you went through a miscarriage, you have heard enough fertility stories that like you knew it was a possibility. I mean, this is just you know, in a lighthearted way, as someone would say, this was not on my bingo card of stories I might be able to relate to. It's so specific. Spinal cord injury, paralysis, quadriplegic. These were just not words in my experience. I've never known anyone. I've never even had a friend in a wheelchair. And I think that's actually what it is more so. It's less about how exact it is, spinal cord injury or paraplegic. I think it's genuinely realizing I've just never been friends with someone who's in a wheelchair. I've never explored the world next to, adjacent to someone to realize this this is not an accessible space to get into. This is an accessible hotel room. Like all of those little things that would just be on your radar if someone in your life has had that be the reality. And so it's just really hitting me how much, because this is the second time this has happened in a week. The first time was uh, last Wednesday, I was talking with some colleagues and one was saying she's a, a 
mother of a daughter in a wheelchair. I think, again, her daughter's maybe around 10, school-age child. And she said, what no one thinks about in school shootings, unless you are aware of disabled children, is what about the children that can't run when there is a shooter? They can't hide. They can't duck. They are in a wheelchair and I have to have a private meeting with my child's school to talk about her unique plan in case of a school shooting. She wouldn't have the ability to do even what we're teaching other kids to do that are still highly traumatic and and problematic. And her account is Little Miss Mickey. I will link that below as well. But I just said to her, I was moved to tears and I was aware, you know, I am a deeply empathetic person. I am moved to tears at a lot. Um, but I was aware in that moment in my body, I was like, I am having a different reaction than the other women on this call. Because I'm realizing all of a sudden that our family relates with your family now. And it's not, I think the reason that I want to talk about this today is because I, I am so deeply empathetic and I know like attracts like. I know you are as well. I know that we are kind, we are thoughtful, we are awake, we are paying attention, we are extending compassion and empathy to people who aren't like us. So it's pretty specific for me to all of a sudden be rocked in the last three weeks with this deep guttural empathy for a whole new group of people that again, I, I'm not an unkind person or a thoughtless person or anything like that. If, if, if I had been on that call and she had said that, it would have touched my heart. I would still have said to her, thank you so much for sharing that because that has not crossed my mind and I am so grateful to have a wider vision now. Like, thank you for having expanded my vision. I still would have felt so grateful to hear her story but I wouldn't have felt something visceral in my body, which is what happens when you can empathize. That I just had this thought sitting in my living room. If this episode had come on a month ago, I would have thought, this is so beautiful. This is so beautiful. This is so lovely. This is really... But I wouldn't have been as leaned in. I was aware the, the detail I was extrapolating far and away beyond what they were saying on the show. So on the show, they were saying they have two vans they want to be able to fit in the driveway. Well, I know because I've heard my mother-in-law talk about it, that what never until three weeks ago had occurred to me, probably two weeks ago is when she mentioned it, is that if you are in a wheelchair, a, a normal car cannot transport you from one place to the other. You have to have a specialized car, which means that your family has to have the money to buy this specialized van. Now, I have seen people in wheelchairs be picked up in these vans, but it hasn't occurred to me that there are individual families that are having to cover this expense and that their vans don't fit in normal-sized garages and then even, even if it did fit into the garage, you have to have an entry and an exit off to the side. Like you're talking about a completely different spacing issue for a car. Now I live in New York City. We don't even have cars here. So I'm not traditionally thinking about garages or whatever. But I'm realizing when they're saying they have these 
vans and they're also saying they have two vans and then I'm wondering does each boy does each van only take one boy does this family have to drive two cars everywhere they go then they're talking about how it's covered under this sort of portico and they don't elaborate on this at all but in my mind I think if you were trying to get this this show takes place in Texas and your rain's there snow's there whatever if you're trying to get a child out in a wheelchair and it's raining how 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 difficult is that, right? You got to open the door. That goes slow. Are they just sitting there in the rain? Are you holding two umbrellas? Like, the show isn't talking about any of this. And I was aware that a month ago, I wouldn't have. Th- I just, I would have been like, oh yeah, they have a van. Like, I just wouldn't have thought about the level of granularity because now all of a sudden I'm thinking, not only does Aaron need a van, but where is this van going to be parked? And how is he going to get into it? And if he is in Salt Lake, where it is snowing for half the year, how does that work? Is somebody, I mean, I'm just, you go down all of the specifics that prior to, it's just so hard to imagine that you would think through every one of those little elements. And I think it's just because there is a, there's just a natural and and healthy, I think, gap or space or distance when we haven't been close to something. And I guess I say healthy only because you don't want to try to imagine. There's no way that we could imagine every single little thing that someone else is going through and all of the complex, tiny little details that they need to navigate now that they're going through a divorce and their kids live in two houses. If you've been through that as the parent or the child, I'm sure there is so much more complexity that I would not think through right now. And, 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 and why would I sit here and then think through, you know what? I bet it's an issue sometimes that like you leave, you're working on a, a, a big diorama for school. Like my niece just was, do you have to move the diorama from one house to the other in order for them to be working on it? Do you need to, you know, I'm sure there's all this level of complexity that you think about when it's you. And I often think about my friend Ashley Lemieux who talks about grief and trauma because she has been through a lot of it herself. I remember her saying once that it is so painful when people say, when you tell people what has happened to you, when she would tell people, we lost both of our children. And someone would say, I can't even imagine. Makes it sound like what you have been through is so horrible. I can't even imagine it. And what the better, kinder phrase is and what the truth is, is I can only imagine. Because that's not saying your trauma is so horrible, I don't even want to think about it. What it's saying is in humility, I don't know what that has been like. I can only imagine it. And I acknowledge, like it's actually such a beautiful phrase because it acknowledges I can't empathize. I can't feel in my bones. I can only imagine. And imagining brings sympathy. It brings compassion, but it has a distance to it. And empathy is more able to put yourself in someone else's shoes, whether you've been in that scenario or you've been in a similar scenario. And when people can empathize, we feel so much more safe with them. 
right? Like it feels worthy of our energy to share because we're going to get more helpful resonance back. And I think every one of us can imagine a scenario that we've been through where we felt like this person doesn't really gonna, isn't really going to get it. I'm going to tell them about how I've been fighting with my spouse and because they're single and they've never been married, they're going to be like, ooh, that sounds hard, but maybe are they also going to be judging me or are they also going to be pitying me or whatever. But if you had some other friend that was like, oh, we've really been struggling lately, And then you were like, oh man, me too. Now we can empathize. Now it feels like we're on the same footing. So I think we've all had that moment where it feels like I think this person can only imagine and therefore they're not going to give me a lot of helpful resonance back. So I don't know if this is going to be worth sharing to me and it might even make me feel worse because if they really can't understand then there's a fine line into pity. I actually like researched it a little bit, the different definitions between sympathy and empathy. And sometimes when people are describing sympathy, they use the word pity, which just feels like the grossest word to me. For me personally, pity feels like I am seeing you at at a lower level, meaning like a lower pit, right? Like at a deeper valley than I've ever been through. And because, of course, I'm grateful I haven't been there, it almost makes me feel like, whew, like, guess I've gotten lucky that I'm not down there, right? Like, it's a normal response. It's not, you don't think you're, quote, above someone as in you are better than someone. You're aware I have not had to walk through what you've walked through, and I cannot help but feel grateful for that. And so there is that disconnect versus someone who has been on that same level in some way. And then you feel like you aren't pitying me. You aren't feeling like I'm down here and you haven't had to go through something this hard. You are down here with me. And that makes me feel like I'm not being looked down on again, which is not our heart, but it's just that that's literally the posture. When you have not been that low down, you are looking at it from a different vantage point from, you know, further up above. And can you think of a scenario, a hard scenario in your life where if it happened, whatever that is for you, you're like, you know what, if this thing happened tomorrow, where your first call would be a friend who's been through it. And that that's kind of what, if this kind of thing happened, I would immediately want to be reaching out to this person. And it's because it's, number one, they have been there which means they know the road ahead better than you and you are looking for a guide because you know in a moment, I am completely lost. I, didn't, I, I do not know this road ahead. I've never been through something like this. I have no idea what I don't know. So the first reason that we want to reach out is for help. The second is I think in most of those cases, the person that we would reach out to, even if they're only a little bit further down the path than us, they are okay now. They are a beacon of hope that they are not in the most excruciating depth that we're in right now. Sometimes we might reach out to someone who, you know, had an injury like Aaron's in the exact same week, but for the most part, we feel better reaching out to people who are further down the road. You know, the the stories we are looking for are the people who are the 1% to 2%, are the people who are walking, who are out of a wheelchair. That's who we want to be looking to is the people that give us hope. And the third reason we reach out to people that we really think can empathize is 
they understand the complexities so they aren't going to minimize all that's happening. You know, I was conscious in last week's episode on caregivers and just a heart for how many families have a caregiver or the caregivers of the caregivers because there's been an injury or an illness in one person in the family, the friend group, et cetera. And that episode was so long and I realized, you know what though? I just, I wrote like eight points that I wanted to share. I didn't have a script. I was just speaking from the heart, which is most of my episodes. And I realized, you know what? That was really long, but that's why it's so hard to have this conversation. Like I have picked one friend that I am sharing with what, what my journey is going through this with Aaron because I realized the first, I think I said this last week, the first message that I left her was an hour long. We use like Voxer, a voice message app. The first message I left her about it was an hour. And this is after I already had written like a copy paste. Hey friends, this is a copy paste message. I don't know how else to share the word. Once we had a GoFundMe, et cetera, and was able to share that, which was already like a week after things had happened. So I didn't even tell a single friend for, for a week because I didn't even know how to put it into a message. And then the one friend I picked to actually talk about it because we talked the most anyways, I mean, I've probably left her three hours of messages in the last 10 days because there is so much complexity. And so I thought that episode isn't going to be for everyone, but the people that it's for are going to be like, oh, yes, this it does take an hour to talk through the complexity. If we summarize this in 20 minutes – it's it's counterintuitive to emphasizing the complexity. And so when you talk to someone who can empathize, they honor it. They honor everything you're going through, how complex it is, how many layers, how hard it is. So I think those three H's, because you know I love a good alliteration, people help, they give help, hope, and honor. When someone empathizes, we think they are actually going to be able to help us in their advice. They give us hope that it's going to be okay, and they honor all the complexity that we walk through because they genuinely understand it. And so I've just also been thinking like, how do we, how do we give that? How do we empathize well when we haven't been through something? And again, because having this example where I'm like, man, there is this huge element in my life that in the last five days has come up twice on the home design show I watch all the time and on a gathering of colleagues that had nothing to, you know, a conversation with colleagues that had nothing to do with this. And I, and I didn't bring up Aaron. It was just completely unrelated. This friend of a friend that I just knew, but I hadn't, you know, I didn't really know her story. I just had no idea that that was what was in her life. Two in one week unrelated when I can realize that three and a half weeks ago, I just, I would have felt so different to either one of those stories because I, I have, I have watched the Fixer Upper show do like a home for girls aging out of the foster care system, et cetera. And I'm like, oh, this is so beautiful. I love that they're doing this. I'm feeling so inspired, but it's a different thing because I can't actually empathize with that. And yet as someone who is such an empath, I think, well, but I, I want to be able How can I love people well and yet without, you know, wishing that I had gone through every hard thing that there is? Because, of course, that's not the answer. So I think, number one, something that I've thought about so much over these past nine months is to focus on the underlying emotions that we can relate to 
which means removing as many details as possible so that your conversation stays about the feelings. And I got a comment on Instagram. I might even said this last week. I got a comment on Instagram when I was sharing about the the grief that I've been going through unrelated to Aaron. This was before I shared about the accident. And um, someone said in a comment, when will you be able to share more details so I can relate more? And I replied to her, you can relate more now than you will be able to once I share the details. Because if someone says, if someone's processing their child dying and you say, oh, I know how you feel, my dog died. No, no, those are not, those are not the same thing. But if you say, when I lost someone close to me, fill in the blank. Well, that sentence is true of both of you. If you're going to say, it doesn't matter what the details were. It doesn't matter if you think my dog was less important than your child. Because to me, I may have felt that the dog was as close. And it doesn't, I don't need you to validate or invalidate that. I can just remove the circumstance and say, when I lost someone close to me, fill in the blank. And now we're just talking about the emotion. And that's something that I feel has been such a gift and a lesson I've learned in these last nine months through not yet being able legally to share some things that I'm going through. It's been this, this beautiful divine gift that I've realized when we share the emotion, we, we actually can empathize with each other on a deeper level than when we bring in the details, the specifics, and the circumstances. Number two, another element of this is to walk closely with people through hard things. Because as we walk through hard things with people and we focus on the emotions that we can empathize with, again, rather than the details and the specifics, but we also now have their example on top of it, it expands more our understanding of how many other details, specific circumstances, scenarios can have those same emotions. It expands it without us actually having to go through it. So one of my best friends was in a very long-term relationship with a sociopath, like truly genuine, genuinely earnestly a sociopath, not just, you know, I know we sometimes throw around a little bit like, oh, he was so selfish. He's such a narcissist. Like, no, different thing. Genuinely, clinically, emotionally, abusive, manipulative sociopath. Now, I cannot relate to having been in that situation. But there are elements of it, like the gaslighting, I've known that feeling. The the being made to feel like you were crazy or thinking that other people then thought that you were crazy when in your gut you really didn't think you were, that I know. The having to rebuild trust in yourself and realizing that you exalted someone else too high and you lost part of yourself because you put that on them, that that I know. So I can say to her all the time, I don't know if you felt like this with so-and-so, but when I think back to where I was with my business partners or where I was with my book coach or where I was, you know, other things, and it's the underlying emotion that we can connect on and she then can say, yes, that, that emotion I get, et cetera, and our circumstances are very different, but When I remove them, now we can talk about what having been through different things as friends, we have felt similar feelings in our bones. And then because of her story and that I already had empathy in the emotion, now she opens me up to better 
have empathy for other people who've been in emotionally abusive situ- you know, romantic relationships that I haven't been in, but I've, I've been a little adjacent to it. I focus on where we can connect and I found the empathy there. And then that has gotten me a step closer. I, have, I haven't had the actual experience, but when you have walked through with someone so closely through the really hard things, some, some of that starts to rub off on you where you now can empathize a little bit more with these different scenarios. And so I think it's the walking closely through people with hard things and, um, and, the, and then opening yourself up to that as well and, and appreciating that, that diversity. And I also think it's okay. Like I sort of had little, little, little points here. I said, how do we how do we give that empathy when we haven't been through something? So number one was focus on the emotions. Number two, walk closely with people through hard things. Number three, it also is okay to not be able to empathize. And I think being an empath, I think what I'm struggling with right now is that I always say I'm so empathetic. Oh, I empathize with everyone. And what I'm realizing in the last few weeks here is I, that's not true because I, I can't. It, uh, it doesn't mean that I'm not kind or it doesn't mean that I'm privileged and I haven't been through hard things. No one can empathize with everything. And so I think it's a practice in humility to say, I really do not know what it is like to be in a fat body or to be in another ethnicity and whether I would observe racism or microaggressions. Like I really do not know. And so I can't empathize I can sympathize. And again, to me, I, I want to pull out that I want to reject <laughs> that pity has to be part of sympathy. I think that is where we as empaths say, I'm not looking at it from a place of pity because I don't want to feel that I'm above someone else. So I remove, I challenge within myself that emotion. And instead, I just, I, I come at it with humility that it almost... You know, pity, like I said, I picture it like if I had a whiteboard here, I would draw like we're on this mountain and there's this deep valley on the other side and pity is seeing someone down there in the pit and you're like, I, I've never been that low. But then humility is, is putting yourself even below that and saying, I in humility put you above me and say, you have had an experience that I have not walked in those shoes. So I would would like to listen and learn from you so that I can be just a little bit more n- nearing empathy for people who have been. I think that's the big difference is we take ourselves off that higher status when we come with the humility to say, you please teach me. Please, I'm listening. I am grateful for what you're sharing. Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for sharing those specifics that, as I said to this friend, thank you for sharing that. I've never, I, in that moment, nothing in my heart felt pity for her as the mother of a child in a wheelchair. I felt humbled that I realized I, my eyes were not open to this and I'm seeing her as above me in having a life experience that I haven't walked through. And I also think it's a reason to seek out, pray for, be grateful for a diversity of stories in our lives. Because 
as empaths, we want to be more empathetic. We, we can't have been in every situation. We don't want to pray and ask to have been in every situation, but we do want to stay open to being able to learn from as many people as possible, to expand our vision to include as many people as possible. And I think that that we are in a really blessed day and age where social media even, if people are podcasts, things like this, if people are very vulnerable and articulate, that can be an incredible way that it doesn't have to mean that all this diversity lives in, you could live in an incredibly racially homogenous town and be like, yeah, everyone who goes to my church is white. Everyone in this town is white. Um, but this is where my family is. This is where we've put down roots, et cetera. Like this is, this is our home. But I want to put myself in a position of humility to, to hear and learn more. So the, it's the books I read, the podcasts I listen to, the people that I follow on social media. I intentionally expand that. I, I don't follow only thin white influencers. I, I follow people who um, who have gray hair and wrinkles. I follow people who have a larger body. I follow someone who has a disability. And it doesn't have to be on like, okay, I've checked all these boxes on social media. It just means in those moments, you think, gosh, I'm grateful for this group of colleagues I'm having this chat with because I'm I'm being introduced to a new demographic and I just am, am open to it and grateful for it. So when we haven't been there and we can't give the help and the hope, we can still honor it. We we don't know all of the complexity, but we can honor it with our humility to say, I'm sure it is so much more complex and there are so many more layers than I can imagine right now based on my experience. And so I I honor that. I, I put myself in that position of humility under you and I honor you. And then that now is a really beautiful place to be in because I would, I mean, it feels, I, I'm in like no minority groups, but I would imagine that it feels really bad. Again, we go back to that thing of pity. Like you don't want somebody following you because they're like, oh, it must be so hard to be you. And I just can't imagine. So I thought I'd just follow along on Instagram and see how hard your life is. Like who wants people following them from that perspective. Instead, if you're coming from humility and you're like, I have not had to walk through this, but gosh, the wisdom that you are bringing, it's really teaching me. Like there's a gal named Callie Heigenthal that I follow who um, lost her daughter uh, when she was two or three years old a couple years ago. And that is not a, a story that I can empathize with, but in humility, it ministers to me to follow Callie because the way that she has spoken about this grief and loss and the way we happen to share a Christian faith, I shouldn't say happen to, we share a Christian faith. And so for me, I'm seeing her walk out at the deepest levels what it really means to maintain your faith when the absolute worst happens. So I'm following her not, you know how like people grief lurk on Instagram? I mean, I've I've done it too. When there's a tragedy suddenly it's like you 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 want to know what's happening you want to you want the updates it's like what how is this family going to move forward how are they going to process it it's a very natural human emotion but i think the key difference that a lot of people miss in instagram is that you are not there to observe people like entertainment in a zoo 
where you are watching their grief and thinking, oh, I'm so glad that's not us. That is gross. And and I'm sure it's, it's a weird thing that I've thought about just because of the nature of my business. I'm like, if a tragedy ever befell us, which is different than right now, like something happened to my brother-in-law is not my daily life. No one's following me for, for updates on, on him. But if a tragedy really befell us, I've thought about how to me, because authenticity is so important to me. And again, I said, I hate that word pity. I think I would really struggle with the awareness that there are people here just pitying and thinking, oh, I just want to see what's happening here, but oh, I'm so glad that's not me. And then it is so different when someone's, set, when someone's energetic posture is, I, I, am, I think you have wisdom and that's why I'm here. I'm here because Amanda Klutz is really choosing joy in the midst of her husband going through COVID. I'm here because Kaylee Eigenthal is really choosing wisdom and faith and in, in the death of her daughter. Like I am being ministered to. I'm not just here curious to see what will happen next, but I actually am growing in my empathetic heart. I This person I was already following, then when their child goes through this thing or they go through this thing, I now realize like, well, I, I want to, I was already in relationship with her. I want to, I, I want to continue to love on her. I want to continue to learn from her. And so in humility now, she is opening up my, um, my vision in that way. I also think number four, we give thanks when hard things do happen that you now can give not only the honor, but the full honor of really knowing in your bones, all the complexity, but also that hope and help because you do now know what it is going to be like. You can protect someone else, be a resource for someone else, be a support, let someone else know they aren't alone. And I have seen this so much over the years in my teaching that people want to help. It's a little dicey sometimes on social media because it often comes across as unsolicited advice. (laughs) Where you're like, I actually didn't ask for any advice on this. And this feels like an overstep and an overreach. And a lot of creators like myself really struggle with the unsolicited advice. But I can also appreciate that a lot of the times what I hear in the message, because I can tell the difference in the tone when somebody just wants to like be right or be sound like they know more. Again, that kind of hierarchy structure, like I'm above you. I know the answer here. And I can tell the difference in the tone when what's happening is someone has been through such deep grief and the fact that maybe they could help me, Hillary, who because of our relationship, I have helped them over the years through teachings, through wisdom, through community building. And and now that I'm talking about my own grief, they feel like they have something to offer in return. And they're like, I, th- this one I know. Like, Hillary, you've helped me in a lot of ways. This one I've actually been here before. And it is coming from this place of wanting to find purpose in your pain. And, and a lot of times I think it's us feeling like, I don't know that I have a lot to give in this area. I don't know. I, I'm not always the one that people are coming to for advice. I don't have all the answers on everything. This isn't really what I do through my work, whatever, but I have this area of life that is purposeful for me 
to get to share with people. And I have seen that come out in inexplicitly asking for advice. It was not unsolicited in regards to Aaron. And the, the number of people who wrote, reached out and wrote such long messages who have gotten on with my in-laws, my sister-in-law has been on with some people. And I can just tell through their messages. They're just like, I. this gives our pain purpose. 13 years ago, my husband was injured. And the fact that I get to to help other families on this road multiple times a week who reach out to us about spinal cord injury, it, it, it gives us a purpose. It, it helps us to process the, the loss and the grief, you know, that we still go through. Um, and I also think within that, something I just really want you to hear is to please tell the truth as often as you can about how you are really doing. And it's not going to be to everyone. It's not going to be to like your Uber driver necessarily or whatever. It's not going to be when you're in a rush. It's not going to be the person that you know gives unsolicited advice and that, you know, whatever. But more often than you are right now, please tell the truth about what you are going through because that also is what allows for the empathy. So yesterday, it's Easter Sunday, it's, um, I, I, we walk up to church and we see a friend and they're like, hey, like, how are you guys doing? And I say, you know, highs and lows. And they go, oh, I, I, I appreciate that answer. You know, they don't think I'm going to take it any farther than that. But they're just like, I appreciate the honesty in that answer. And the day before, we had told our neighbor what happened to Aaron. And then we had that moment where, like, they came out of the elevator and we were going into the elevator on our floor. And they, they said something to the effect of, oh, how's your brother? Is he better? And Jeremy said something effective, uh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's doing, he's, yeah, he's doing good. And then the door is closed and I said, okay, that wasn't an honest answer, but that was an awkward question and we're new to this and we need to think through our answers. Cause Jeremy too was like, yeah, right. Like we don't want to give inauthentic answers because we are both aware this is a very long road. And there are not, there's not huge milestone moments every day. There's not, no, he's not better. What, what do you, what do you mean by better? Like that's, that's a, it's a complex <laughs> existential question. Do you mean like, are we considering it better that he like can feel his thumb now? He has some feeling in his thumb. I mean, that is better than it was yesterday, but I don't know if you are thinking that that's going to be celebratory, you know, like it, all these little things. But you realize when you're new to a situation like that, or rather when you've been in a situation for a while, you start to learn how to give the right answers, right? Because now you know the questions that people are going to anticipate. And actually, we were watching murder murder mystery movie the other night, Jennifer Aniston, Adam Sandler. Um, the second one just came out. So we watched the first one because we'd never seen that. And there's a guy who um, doesn't speak English. He's a race car driver. And... They don't realize at first he doesn't speak English. He gives them like three canned answers. He's like, yes, Monaco, very nice or something. And then the next he's like, he's like, yes, number one. And then he says, yes, very fast. Love to go very fast. And you, in my mind, I was like, these are, he's realized these are the three things people are going to say. Oh my gosh, like you live in Monaco? That's so fancy. And like, gosh, you're number one in the world? So impressive. You must be very fast. He's like realized this is what people say. So whatever language it's in, if I just say this back, 
in, you know, in my broken English or whatever, it, we're, we're going to be able to move it forward. And I thought that's so true. I imagine if you've been like going through a divorce, but you haven't wanted to share yet, or you have, um, you know, been, been going through fertility and people are asking questions or whatever, you figured out like what your answers are. And I realized like, we, we don't have answers on this yet. So then the next day, and by the way, I do not begrudge our sweet neighbor at all. Like it's, you know, it's, it's the quick moment you're, you're turning around to ask and, and they too are like, oh, I, I haven't prepped my answer. I, my, my follow-up question for a paraplegic scenario. Like, I, I guess I, I, she, no one's conversant in this, you know, to know what's the appropriate thing to say. So complete grace there. And I think it really does become more on you as the person going through it to guide that conversation again from that, from that place of, I would say in this case, empathy that we've all been in situations where we stuck our foot in our mouth or we got awkward because we, d- we didn't know what to say. We didn't know what to ask. We didn't want to overstep. We weren't sure what was appropriate. So we just said nothing or we blurted something out. It was a little bit awkward because none of us have been through every single thing. So I think we also increase empathy by taking it on ourselves to educate how to have dialogue around the things that are happening in our lives because we give incredible grace and humility that that, that no one, pe- most people asking us about, about Aaron for, I don't know, for the next year, we have no idea how long the story is going to be. They're not going to know how to ask questions about paraplegic. Like you don't know how to ask questions about cancer. You don't know how to ask questions about Alzheimer's. Once you've been through it, now you know the more nuanced questions to ask. And so through us saying, you know, I said highs and lows. Our friend said, oh, I, you know, I love that honest answer. And I said, three weeks ago, Jeremy's brother, who's 26, was in an accident. He was paralyzed from the neck down. And our friend's like, oh my gosh. And it's like, thank goodness I didn't just say, oh, it's going great, right? Because it allowed us to have a genuine empathetic conversation, pray about it, like really connect on something meaningful, not just surfacey talk. Then this friend was like, we are, um, I said, what's going on with you guys? And they said, we're actually, um, you know, we're trying to get pregnant. So if you guys, you know, would, um, Actually, all they said was trying. We're trying. So, and I thought that even feels like something that a married couple says to another married couple that I thought this person isn't saying to a single 23-year-old at this church, we're trying. And the person's like, what do you mean? And I just thought, oh, interesting. It's like a shorthand where not because we are trying, but because you just know, oh, this is a thing that a lot of people in your life are talking about when you're, you know, newlyweds in your 30s or whatever. Like this, you're going to understand what the shorthand is here of this culture. And then I was so grateful that they shared something and we were able to empathize them. Then we walk in, we see a friend who had stage four breast cancer and we were part of her support team through GoFundMe. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. I said, how are you? And she paused for a second um, and I said, highs and lows? And she said, yes. Oh, oh, and that's what I said to the friend about who said they were trying. I said, I, I imagine, or, 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 or I don't know if I said imagine, but I just said there's there's highs and lows. Like you are, 
you're excited. I, I was like, you're excited that you're making this choice. And then you're also terrified. What if this happens? And you're terrified. What if it happens really soon? And then you're terrified. What if it takes a long time? And you're just like, yeah, there's highs and lows to it. It's not all positive. It's not all negative. It's, it's complex. And they were like, yes. Then I said to her, this friend with cancer, I said, highs and lows. And she said, yes, I am. Here's all the things that I'm grateful for, blah, blah, blah. But I still go in every three weeks and it's not chemotherapy, but it's still in a hospital. I still don't feel good after it. And, um, we, and Jeremy asked, is there an end date to that? And she said, probably not because it was stage four. This is probably just the foreseeable future. And I so appreciated in that moment. I could just tell she gets asked this every week. This is, this is her. Yes, Monica, lovely. Yes, first place, very proud. Yes, love to go fast, very fast. Like she knows now what the most common questions are. And I just, I know there is someone listening who's like, yep, I know exactly the three things people are going to say when I tell them fill in the blank. Or when I see someone that I haven't seen recently because, but knows that we, we went through this thing. Then we talked to another friend who uh, they have adopted five siblings uh, quite a few years ago now, five siblings that were in the foster care system. And um, they, again, said like, you know, I was like, how is it? And they're like, well, and I said, hi, like, I said, how is your family doing right now? And kind of paused. And I said, highs and lows. She's like, yes. And I thought, oh my gosh, like that is what four completely different scenarios But that's what we could all empathize with, is that every story had highs and lows. Nobody's true answer was, everything's great. I'm feeling like so peaceful, so positive, optimistic. And no one's story was, everything is horrible. We have no hope. Um, It just feels like we're in the deepest, darkest cave. And there's moments of both of those, right? You've had just like, I, I... I can't even see past this day. This is fully consuming me, this darkness. And you've had moments of euphoria where you're just like newly in love or whatever. And you're just like, ah, everything in life is glorious. But most of the time, there's highs and lows. It's just more extreme. I mean, the the lows with Aaron may be more extreme than a couple friends I'm thinking of in my life, but their lives still all have highs and lows if I really want to know how they're doing. And at the end of service, um, this girl, Jen, came up to me and she was like, hey, I just want to let you know, I listen to your podcast every week and it just always makes me feel like I'm not alone. You just always make me feel seen and like a kindred spirit. And I just always feel like you get me. And um, she, a, a mutual friend of ours, got the Elegant Excellence Journal, told Jen about it. Um, and she, she got it herself. And so that's how she like ended up in this community. And I just said to her, like, thank you so much for, for letting me know that. Um, I just, it means so every single time I get to meet one of you guys in person, like it just, I can't tell you how meaningful it is because I'm, I'm in my home office talking to the wall, you know, like there's definitely times when it can just feel like is anybody even listening on the other end of this? Like, sure, I can see the metrics and the numbers that people are, but it just, ugh, it's every time there is like, you know, a, 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 a sweet podcast review or um, I, I especially get to meet, you know, see someone in person. It just really reminds you that there's like people out there, you know, on the other side of this. And um, I just thought that, that, that what I naturally try to do in my teaching, I don't even 
know that I try to do. It's just the the way my brain works is I, I do almost always focus on the underlying emotions of something, the, the root reasons and causes, the deep, complex questions underneath lots of circumstances rather than the specifics. And that's just what I realized when I first started this business, what, 11 years ago now maybe, as a personal stylist, and I realized I'm going into everyone's home and it does not matter whether they are in a very, very nice brownstone apartment in um, you know, Park Slope, which is like a nice neighborhood here, or a tiny little apartment with roommates. It doesn't matter whether they are buying clothes at Bloomingdale's or at the time Forever 21. It doesn't matter whether they are a double zero or a size 22. It doesn't matter what their ethnicity is, what their age is, how fancy or non-fancy their job title is. Like the underlying emotion is the same. I'm teaching them all the same style principles and they are just as meaningful for every one of them. And every one of them has the same type of insecurity and it manifests itself in different ways. It manifests as someone that's like, I, I just look at my closet and I see someone who hasn't been successful enough because the clothes in here aren't nice enough. And then I feel like I'm not going to book the auditions that I want to book because I'm not dressed right going in the room to look like someone who is successful. So then I get even more insecure. Whereas someone else is moved to tears being like, I think I just, I, I, I love my kids, I love being a mom, but I just look at this closet and like I had another life, you know, like I had, I used to, I used to go out, I used to go to parties, I used to go to gallery openings, like, and I just look at these clothes and I love them, but I, I don't, I don't wear them. I, I work in the garden and I take my kids to school and like, that just, both of those women are grappling with what does it mean that I am 35 and this is my life? And and that's what we're staring at in the clothes. It's never about the clothes. Like the clothes are a teeny little part on top of everything. So I think because I came in on that angle, uh, not angle of just the, the, the door got opened for me that I thought was about my, like being really good at shopping on a budget and organizing closets. And I realized very quickly was about grappling with what makes women feel beautiful or sadly, more often not beautiful. And that was the foundation. And it's why I stopped doing one-on-one clients, switched to a course in a community because I was like, this actually is better when we're all together because now we're going to expand this empathy. You're going to hear from one another. And when we keep focusing on the roots and the emotions, you're going to realize it actually doesn't matter that she's a smaller size than me. I'm thinking if she, if I was a smaller size, I wouldn't feel this way. And then I'm realizing that's not what it is. It actually doesn't matter that she has more money than me because I'm thinking if I had more money, this wouldn't be a problem. But we have the same emotion. So I'm realizing now it's not money. So I realize that it gets to the root of things. Yes, that is so much of what we do here. And I am also aware as much as I hold space as an empath and as much as so many of us are empathetic and that is so powerful, I also would never have thought about handlebars in a child's room who has a wheelchair so they can move themselves into their bed and back or putting Legos on the wall because then they don't have to get out of their chair and onto the ground and then back up into their chair. They can just be sitting in their chair and playing on the wall. Like the little details that I was picking up on 
that again, they didn't have time in this show to even go into them. And I'm realizing when we can really empathize, there also is an extra magic. And therefore, when we have the humility to listen to people whose stories we don't know and say, I acknowledge I can only sympathize in this way. I'm going to focus on the emotion parts where we can connect. And I also am going to be really grateful that there are other people in the world that you can connect with. And I'm going to be grateful there are other people in the world that you can connect with because number five of our little list somewhere along the way is that we all also should be giving thanks when we can't empathize, that we haven't been through something, and then praying that each of us is given people who we can empathize with. And when there is someone in your life and you realize in humility, I I can't support you as much as I would like to. I mean, that's even how... I feel with Aaron right now. There is no one, everyone in the family is going through this, but no one can empathize with what it is like to be in his body. We can all just imagine. We all just know what it feels like to have someone in our family who is a paraplegic. We don't know what it is to be a paraplegic, and so we are trying to get him on the phone with other people who can empathize because there is none of that pity. There is none of that. And I am just really challenging myself in this scenario to remain incredibly humble as the, you know, as the, the girl who people send me DMs every day about scenarios I've never been a part of. And I'm like, what do you think I should do? Do you have any advice? And giving advice and life coaching is, is what I do. It's the gift that I was given. But I'm also really conscious in this case to have a lot of humility. That I, I don't know what it's like to be a, a, a paraplegic. And so I want to tread lightly. I don't want to bust in. Not that, I mean, really, who wants their like sister-in-law, like their brother's wife to just be like, okay, I'm going to life coach you. Like I don't think any 26-year-old guy um, wants that from me anyways. So I would already be having humility. But I think all the more so, it's, it's just challenging when I realize if someone has come into my DMs, you're, you're asking for my help. So I'm going to do my best to help. But in this case, of course, you want to help because it's your family. But I'm also having the humility. I don't know if my life coaching wisdom, I, I, don't, I don't think it's as potent here because it is a completely different. I can't imagine that there's anyone who, who would be paraplegic who would then write to me and be like, I bet Hillary has answers for me. Like, I would think you're going to someone else who has been, you know, better able to relate. I guess just because that one feels so, it feels so different to me than any other loss we go through. A loss of a, of a romantic relationship, a friendship, lost through death, loss. I mean, there's just a lot of other things that I think feel more universal. This is something that so few people have been through and it's just so unrelated to anything else. But I want to close by just saying thank you for everyone who's reached out in the last week about Aaron's accident, who has said that you can empathize for every person who is like, we had a spinal injury in our family, we had a traumatic brain injury in our family, like there, and said, we have been here. 
it really did make me, and again, I am one step removed, but as I think about my husband, as I think about my in-laws, as I think about Aaron, it made me feel less alone and, and that everyone in the family was less alone because of how many people could empathize. And I also am so thankful for everyone who's reached out that they can sympathize and has not tried to act like they know what's going on here, but they just nonetheless are like, I can only imagine. And from that place of imagination, my heart is breaking for you. And we have had people give time, money, and energy for, for both. I mean, we have had people go so, be so generous to us that can't empathize. And you know, I actually think that's probably a really important point to make, that it's not the people who have gone above and beyond, they can't empathize. They're just doing to others as they would have done unto them, which is a verse from the Bible. Like they're just, you know, golden rule in kindergarten, treat others as you want to be treated. We like, we'll be on the family Zoom and they're like, oh, your friend Jen came by today. And she, yeah, she dropped off food. She was so sweet. And I was like, guys, I, Jen and I are not friends. I'm like, I don't mean that it just sounded in a bad way, but I was like, she, she DM me. She follows me on Instagram. She said we met at a conference once. I was so inundated with messages. I didn't even click through to look at her profile to see if I recognized her. I absolutely may know who she is, but honestly, I just, she just messaged about housing. And so I just immediately moved it into the category of housing and was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. And just realizing, I, I don't know this person. It, this wasn't my, my close friend who came. It's just this community. I mean, it's just, you're showing up at the hospital for a family that, that, that I, you know, is my in-law family. And, and the, it's not, not because we're the closest of friends. You're just here. You're just part of this community. We were gifted two back-to-back months of free housing in two to four bedroom houses. I mean, that is thousands of dollars that the family would have been spending and likely even more, you know, and even just more stress and time, right? Like somebody said, you know, we asked for, for housing help and someone was like, said something like, you know, oh, just like, just go online. Like, I'm sure there's lots around the hospital or whatever. And totally sweet that they were trying to help. But the issue is almost like there's so many houses in Salt Lake City. And when you were dealing with a paraplegic who needs help round the clock, that in and of itself was like so overwhelming that you would have to send messages and, and, you know, negotiate pricing for a full month and just all of the different things as opposed to when someone just comes to you and is like, I have a place for you. And you're just like, oh my gosh. So we have, Jeremy and I are going out there in two weeks and um, we're staying right across the street from someone in this community. Um, She actually uh, owns the rental property right across the street. And I am just so grateful to get to go and like have tea with her and hold her baby and just get to know her. Um, because we just had had mutual friends in this community. Um, people have gotten on the phone. My sister-in-law is the one that's getting on the phone with people. And so people who have reached out and said that they would tell us her, your stories and then, you know, what you did for your loved ones. And then she's reporting back on the, um, you know, on the family Zooms. It just really, it's just really lovely. And, and, and it's that combination. The people who are getting on the phone can empathize. 
That's why they're getting on the phone because they, 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 they can give the help. We've been down this road before. They can give the hope. Here's, here's what helped us. They can give the honoring. Here's all the things that you don't know. You don't know. We understand all the complexity. But then there's also all these other women that are just sympathizing. They're like, I can only imagine. And in my imagination, this is what I hope someone would do for our family. So they're bringing, like I got a photo yesterday of, of like a, a beautiful Easter Sunday meal that somebody dropped off. I mean, it was just like, it was so much food for all the people that were there for Easter. And that was somebody else who just on their Easter Sunday, and I know like she's religious, I know Easter means, you know, a lot to her, I'm sure, that like she took time out of her day also to come and bless that family. And these are just people that can sympathize. So this is also not in any way to say if we can't sympathize, if we can't empathize, we are not also incredibly valuable because that specific hope, help, and healing is about navigating the the emotions and the road forward, but then there's a whole other just, you know what the fourth H is? It's hug. If you can sympathize, your role is in the hug on the outside. And that hug might look like, I'm going to show up and, and clean your kitchen because you can't get out of bed. I'm going to drop groceries off. I'm going to, you know, um, I saw that they were putting together Easter baskets for the families at Covenant School just to take something off the plate of those parents who were just going through trauma and, you know, getting their kids in counseling and whatever. And it was just, that was a hug. I, I can't, but that was a bunch of mamas saying, we can't, we can't, most of us, thankfully, can't empathize. We haven't been at the school where our children had a shooting occur while they were in classrooms. But we can sympathize. You know what I would want? I would just want some other mamas to come around and hug me and just take some stuff off my plate because suddenly it is so much. Um, And I also want to say it is okay if we can't care for everyone personally. Today, I there was there was another shooting. Uh, it's Monday, there's a shooting, and I honestly can't remember, was Covenant last Monday or the Monday before? Was it two Mondays ago? Was it last Monday? I think maybe it was just last Monday. There's been so much going on in our lives, I can't even remember. And I just thought like, when that happened on a Monday, someone on my team, one of my core team members, is in Nashville, has school-age kids. The shooting was down the block from her husband's work. So that hit close to home. And I have a ton of friends that live in Nashville most of whom are Christians, most of whom have school-age kids. Like I just was immediately reaching out to text friends and and just let people know what we were loving about them. Um, today, it was in a city that it was in Louisville uh, that I don't have a connection to. I didn't immediately have someone that was there. And I just had to say, I have, I have spent a lot of, I, I have been pulled off my focus of providing for my immediate family through my work, providing for my my team's immediate families through their work and that priority. And then I've been caring for my family and then I, I've been my in-laws and then my family is in town this week and then in two weeks we're going to my in-laws and then I've been caring, you know, spent some time caring for my friends in Nashville and, and talking about gun reform after that. And I just had to make the decision today, it's okay that I can't help everyone. And I'm going to go put my phone in the other room and I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of the news and I'm not going to sit here scrolling social to see what everybody is saying about it. I'm going to do my work. 
Um, I'm going to record this podcast today because my sister and my uh, sister and brother-in-law and niece and nephew are in town. And tomorrow I am going to go to Alice's Teacup which is a delightful place, um, and the Central Park Zoo. And we are going to go to um, Ellen's Stardust Diner, I think, for dinner, which is like this kitschy place in Times Square where Broadway performers are the, or, you know, Broadway hopefuls are the um, the waiters and waitresses. And so they sing, um, you know, Broadway tunes. Um, so it's like, in order for me to say yes to that tomorrow, I need to say yes to this podcast and just some other things that my team was doing today. So it's okay. I am choosing to love the people well, choosing to love what's in my life, on my heart today. And it is so personal whether or not we feel we're doing enough to care for others. Because the truth is some people are and some people aren't. You know, we, we, we there are times in our lives or certain personalities or, you know, it may be us, it may be people we see that it's like, if we're only moving ourselves forward, there are marginalized groups that need our amplification. And if we're only focused on what matters to us because we fall into this bucket or that doesn't apply to me, that's, it's not loving our neighbor. It's not doing unto others, right? There are issues that need our votes. There are candidates that need our donations. Like us leaning in and taking action in the world is needed to make things better and to build a a better community for everyone around us. And we can only give so much as well. And one of my favorite episodes, I'll link it below. I think it's number 17. It's from like way back in the beginning of the podcast. It's on like, am I doing self-love wrong? And It's something I've just advocated for for so many years. If you are caring and advocating for some things and some people, then you can release yourself and trust that other people are advocating for other things and other people and be so grateful that it is spread around because we don't all have the bandwidth to be working on the foster care system and the endangered animals and the unhoused population. So if I am so deeply passionate about one of these, I'm not going to get peeved that you aren't as well if I see love in your life that there is another area of, of people and the world and, and all of that that need it that you're also loving. As long as I see love in your life, then I am not going to tell you that you aren't loving enough because ultimately we do all want to be living from that place of love and empathy and compassion and generosity, but we also don't want to end up burned out. And we also need to be able to protect ourselves, especially as those of us that are more empathetic. There are times when we need to step away from the news and step away from thinking about the hard things in our lives or even our friends' lives and say, I've got to reset my nervous system. I've got to activate my parasympathetic nervous system. I've got to calm so that I can continue to pour out and love well. And um, the people in Salt Lake City right now have really stepped up for us to love us well um, when they saw a need. And I'm just so grateful for it in this season, but I truly am grateful for every sweet message um, that we've received. And I know you're not just giving it to us. I know you're giving it to other families um, and other causes that you feel Uh, called and compelled to. And I am just so, so grateful for the hope that I feel being surrounded by so many hopeful, kind, compassionate, sympathetic, empathetic people 
we're all just really lucky to have each other in this community. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately is last night, as I mentioned, my sister, brother-in-law, niece and nephew, they're seven and nine, I think, um, are here in New York City. And they were over at my house. Oh, I didn't think I was going to get emotional. My family never comes to visit because there are more of them in one place, right? For a long time, I was single. And I think anyone who is listening who is single, you get it. You are the one that goes to everybody else. Um, you are the one that sleeps on the floor or the blow-up mattress or the pull-out couch while everybody else is in their beds. Um, and it makes sense. It makes sense. It is logical. But gosh, it feels meaningful when it's reversed. And my my sister and brother-in-law didn't come out here for me. They, they love New York City. They lived here. Um, when they were newlyweds many years ago and their kids are on spring break. They wanted to bring their kids for spring break. My brother-in-law has some work out here. So it's not like they were coming for me. But just having them in my home last night, it's just, you realize that it is kind of hard, I think, when something that is such a part of you, it's your home, you're in your home every day. And when there are people that are some of the most close people in your life, like your family, I have one sibling, you know, they're the only nieces and nephews that I have on this side, et cetera. Like I don't have a huge family. And you just think it's been years and years and years since you could really picture what my home looks like. And yet I've been in your home so many times for occasions and for holidays. Like I, I, I can picture what it's like to live in your home and you can't picture it here, you know, like you've seen it on Instagram or you've seen it on FaceTime or whatever, but it's just like different when you're here. So, you know, and again, I mean, it took them four plane tickets to get here. It's just a very, you know, different thing. They've got to get babysitters in order to be able to go out and all of that. Um, so it's not that in any way I was like resentful they hadn't come. I just was so grateful. And we go back to like the, you know, things that weren't on my bingo card. It just never, at the beginning of the year, I had the thought, I was actually, we were, um, it was over Christmas. And I had the thought, let's, Jeremy, let's ask Ashley and Clay, if when Clay comes out for work sometime this year for like a long weekend, could Devin come with him and stay with us for the weekend? And like, that was what I, I thought was like, the, like the best that I could get was like one of them was going to come out. And then I was about to say that to, I was, I was FaceTiming with my niece and I was about to say to her, would you want to come out and visit? And I was like, you know what? No, I should talk to Ashley first. I should not just say that. And then, um, Ashley says to Devin, Oh, did like, did you tell aunt Hill what we're doing for spring break? And Devin goes, Oh, we're coming to see you in New York city. And I was like, wait, what? What? Are you serious? Like she said it so casually, you know what I mean? But in my mind, I'm like, it never even occurred to me to hope you guys might all come. Like I thought I was really proud of myself for coming up with an idea where I could like, you know, get one of you guys here. So that is definitely what I am loving. What Freddie Cappuccino is not loving lately, you can pray for him, is um, my nephew. We're going we're gonna to use the word bundle. He is a bundle and um, a lot of energy, a lot of, lot of volume. 
a lot of fastness, a lot of, um, a lot of aggression, a lot of, just a lot, just a lot. And this poor cat, it was like a terrorist with, had, had, had entered into our apartment and he was on lockdown and he was being stalked. He was completely terrorized. I have never seen him like this. He finally let me pull him out from underneath the bookcase and hold him. He normally will like let me hold him for a little bit. He's not like that into it. Like after a few minutes, he's like, okay, I want to go back to playing. He like burrowed into my arm for half an hour. It was just like, he was like, I am being held. Thank the Lord. I am safe. I trust this person and they are going to keep me away <laughs> from the madman that has been loosed in this apartment. Then Jeremy made him a fort on our bed, like underneath the pillows and the blankets because all the places he normally hides are like where the, the family was. So Jeremy makes him this bed, uh, this fort on top of the bed. Devin and I go in to look and I like look under the blanket. The face he is giving me was Michaela Marooney's Not Impressed. Are we familiar? Michaela, Olympic gymnast, and her viral Not Impressed face. If a cat could do an impersonation of a human, that that is what he was giving me down to a T. He was just like, I, I do not know what is happening. I am not into it. I definitely am ready for it to be over. And when they finally left and it had been like quiet for literally 60 seconds, but it's like he could sense. He knew the door had closed. He knew we had gone from full volume to no volume. And he came out, Jeremy never died. He came out like there had been a riot in his city and he knew that it was over and the sun had risen the next day and he had survived and he had this new appreciation for peace in his home. He just was like almost giddy, like, are we back? Is it safe? Can I come out? Okay, it's going to be fine now. It's going to be fine. But what Freddie doesn't know is that uh, Henry is coming back on Friday and they're spending the night here. <laughs> we are watching the kids while uh, my brother and sister-in-law uh, have a date night in the city, which we were thrilled to do. But definitely pray for Freddie because he um, he doesn't he didn't realize until this moment that that he was adopted by a Dinka family. Dinka is a New York term, I think. I don't know if people outside of New York use it. Uh, Dinka stands for dual income, no kids. D I N C, Dink or Dinka. Um, Jeremy and I are a dink, dink a couple, uh, dual income, no kids, which means like you've, you've got a, you don't have roommates, you've got consistency, you've got a nice apartment, you're gonna be fed well, you're gonna be um, given treats and toys and no one's gonna pull your tail, no one is going to, you know, lunge quickly for you. Uh, there's not really going to be screaming and yelling and a lot of noise. Um, it's just going to be a pretty cush existence. And um, I think last night he realized what could have happened if he'd been adopted into a family with um, with three small children. So um, we are already coming up with some game plans, um, park, uh, multiple parks actually, thank goodness, Praise the Lord, it's going to be nice weather. We're going to do lots of parks, multiple parks, real emphasis on the tiring out. Uh, we're going to do picnic in the park. We're going to try to be out of the house as much as possible. We are trying to game plan what happens the next morning because my nephew wakes up at like 4 a.m. 
I, I don't know. I don't know why. They don't know how to get him out of it. He wakes up at like 4 a.m. And um, that's about the time Freddie wakes up and then leaves our room. So <laughs> Jeremy and I were trying to strategize. Could we move his litter box into our bathroom? Could we make him a little like bed in the bathtub? And that's this time so he doesn't wake us up. Could we put him here? We're trying to figure it out. So um, Freddie Cappuccino thanks you for... Um, your sympathy, um, possibly your empathy, if like me, you um, are child free at this stage in your life. And um, it is a lot. It is a lot um, sometimes to be around other people's kids. <laughs> and um, and we're humans and we can understand it. And, and Freddie can't even understand. So um, he appreciates your sympathy. He appreciates your empathy. And um, I appreciate you. And I'll see you back here next Wednesday with Grace and gumption. You're welcome in advance. Till next Wednesday.